The Start On Demand. On demand. The city of Winnipeg has fired eight and suspended seven employees in the wake of that investigation that revealed many workers were slacking on the job. Mayor Brian Bowman paid us a visit this morning and weighs in on the controversial topic. We're also going to revisit a topic that we discussed on Wednesday about bullying. Those high school students in Memphis who stepped up to help out a kid who was being mercilessly bullied. We got some really thoughtful responses from some of our listeners who shared their experiences with bullying, and we want to share those experiences with you. And Jeff Braun has 20 filled-out stamp cards from McDonald's for free coffee, and he hasn't used them. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, September 12th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and Mackling and McNabb, I'll just give you a heads up right out of the gate here that uh, might be a little bumpy today because I got my new couch yesterday, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Got to thank my dad who went to my apartment to wait for the guys from the furniture store because the window was 8.30 to 11. Obviously, that doesn't work for me. Because Anyone? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. The Anyone. classic delivery will be there between window. That's yeah. the best. So my dad went to, to wait for them and let them in, and I got home from work, and the couch was there. It was all set up. And uh, it was super comfy. I love it. And of course, because I love it and it's comfy, I fell asleep sitting up on the couch at like 10 o'clock. And then I woke up at 1230 and then just proceeded to kind of doze for the next couple of hours, all the while wearing my contact lenses, which really need to be taken out for eight hours a day, likely. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm yesterday you were punchy. Today I am. Greg's holding up how many fingers? Yes. I see three. Oh, well, that's a good start. Okay. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we have lots of stuff, though, today. We have prizes to give away, starting in our next segment, actually. Chantel Kreviazic tickets at 6.15. Our next qualifier for Ryu Cancun. Pick a seat on the CJOB plane at 7.15. Michelle Obama tickets at 8.45. And Cirque du Soleil Amaluna tickets at 9.15. But Loren McNabb, you were fired up about something you wanted to come out of the gate with here. Well, uh, <laughs> where there is smoke, there is fire. Or in the case of e-cigarettes, this is my promise to get Greg fired up, actually. Oh, I doubt it. Oh, yesterday, U.S. President Donald Trump told reporters that there's a serious problem with vaping, which there are some concerns. We know there have been some deaths in the States. There's issues with some respiratory illnesses. And so now, of all things, his top health official said the Food and Drug Administration will remove all flavored e-cigarettes from the market. Become very rich companies very fast, and the whole thing with vaping is uh, is a uh, been very profitable. And I want companies. Look, you know that I fight for our companies very hard. If I fight, that's why I'm fighting with China. That's why I'm fighting with other countries. If you look at European Union, and if you look at uh, Japan, and if you look at so many others, including South Korea and many others, we're constantly dealing with them to make it good for our companies because I view it as jobs. I view it as income for our country and jobs. Uh, Vaping has become a very big business, as I understand it, like a giant business in a very short period of time. But we can't allow people to get sick and we can't have our youth be so affected. And I'm hearing it. And that's how the First Lady got involved. She's got a son together that is a, a beautiful young man, and she feels very, very strongly about it. She's seen it. We're both reading it. A lot of people are reading it. But people are dying with vaping. So we're looking at it very closely. But for, I think he meant we've got a son together, not do she's you, got a son. Do you, or yeah, how certain are gonna, you? I don't know. I laughed when I first heard that this morning, only because I was like, you have a son together. So as a Mm-hmm. Parents, you're concerned about the things your kids might get into. But, Greg, this is one that had you going for the past 12 hours at least. At least. And I just wish the president could find this much passion when multiple children are killed in a school in the United States of America. And he could look at it with the same sort of reasonable 
Perspective. Guns are business. They make money. You can make money from guns. We know this. They're also hurting people. Mm -hmm. I think if you just, I don't know if we can edit this later on throughout the morning, just take out e-cigarettes and over top just say guns. I think everybody with a reasonable perspective could get behind what he's saying if you just replace those two words. And with the e-cigarettes, I think he's bang on. Well, yeah. These are causing a problem. So does tobacco and has for hundreds of years, which was Brett's point this morning about why he might say what he's saying. A, a million times yes on that point. One person died tragically in the last week or so. This is being highlighted in the media in the United States. There's all sorts of information coming out about how harmful uh, e-cigarettes can be to young people. We get that. We understand that. I just find it difficult to hear him essentially planting his flag in this hill as his hill to die on. Pardon the reference. I just, I'd like to see him passionate about other things that that kill far more people in much more destructive fashion. If you are ingesting an e-cigarette, with all due respect, Mr. McGarry, it's your decision. When you purchase an AR fill-in-the-blank and attack uh, children and other innocent people, that is a scourge on society as a whole, I just don't understand his passion about this and his lack of passion on the other. Well, he, I, my theory is that he wants to target flavored e-cigarette juice because if... Here's the thing. I started vaping and I tried the tobacco flavor, but I don't like the flavor of tobacco. But you started so, vaping, sorry, just in case people are catching up, because you were a smoker yeah. and you're trying to downgrade. Yeah, and I was getting yeah. there. And yeah. uh, I started vaping because I wanted to quit smoking because my breathing was awful and uh, obviously smoking is terrible. So I switched to vaping and I just tried all the flavors. I tried, they have cream flavors, they have pastry flavors, juice flavors, candy flavors. I ended up, uh, now I currently vape, it's like a blue raspberry kind of flavor. It almost tastes like a blue slushy. And uh, I just went with it because that's the one I liked. I tried the tobacco flavors. I don't like them. And the thing is, if you remove the flavored juice, then maybe people will just go back to smoking. It's like, well, I don't like the flavor of this juice, so I'll just smoke. So my theory is that he, it's the tobacco lobby. They're trying to, because they've been gunning for vaping ever since it came out because people are switching en masse from smoking to vaping. And I understand that it is, the, the juries are still out as to what the long-term effects. Clearly, we're now seeing short-term effects are, they're kill, it's killing some people, and that's scary. It gives me pause and make, to make sure that I'm consuming this in a responsible way right. and that I'm not hurting myself and that I'm monitoring my health. My dad's kind of worried about me. He's like, are you, how's your breathing? How's your breathing? You okay? So, yeah, because I don't want to go back to smoking, and I would like to eventually let the vaping go, but... You know how many people died from c- cigarettes in the States alone last year? Uh, 100,000? 480,000. Oh, my God. I, I aimed high, I thought. So, I've, I'm just making the reference, too. I mean, we're still not banning tobacco. Yeah, so, Brett, you think there's an underlying hidden agenda here from the president that maybe he's hearing from the tobacco lobby to speak out against this and perhaps insist on e-cigarettes being banned in America. I think so. Yeah, that's my theory. Uh, because There might I, be something to that. Yeah. We switch to extended smoke breaks to two hours for coffee and donuts. Hidden camera footage of civic employees in the property and planning department slacking on the job, which, Loren McNabb, that garnered plenty of outrage from taxpayers. And now we know pink slips have been handed out at City Hall as a result of footage which showed employees doing personal activities during work hours, lengthy shopping trips, hitting the gym, blowing snow. City of Winnipeg interim CAO Mike Ruda says eight people were fired, seven suspended after an internal review. More than uh, broken trust, it was also theft. Theft in the form of time and theft in the form of fraudulent uh, mileage claims. While action is being taken, as Global's Brittany Greenslade reports, some city councillors think even more heads should roll. 
They were serious allegations of hours spent on personal errands being done on the public dime. Allegations, a new city report says, are true. We are deeply uh, disappointed to have found that there was uh, truth to the allegations. Uh, the employee-employer relationship, uh, relationship is built on a solid uh, foundation of trust. And when that trust is broken, it is difficult to repair. A five-month investigation has led to eight employees being fired, seven others suspended, in total, 20 reprimanded. For those that were committing fraud, uh, I think you got to look to the employees first. <laughs> I mean, uh, there are individuals that were, um, were cheating the system, and they should be held accountable. But one city councillor says it doesn't go far enough. Let's not cloud the issue or try to make it look like it's gone away. This is just the beginning. Solving this and saying people are fired does not fix it. Somewhere it's broken. The city will be conducting a review with the help of an outside consultant of all field operations in every department. But Councillor Kevin Klein says it needs to start at the top. We know that it's not just this one isolated incident. I think we all know that. We have an issue with culture. Um, and again, culture starts at the top. No disciplinary action has been taken against the director of the department, who earlier admitted he wasn't aware what was happening with his employees slacking on the job. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. The damning video evidence was obtained by private investigators over 28 days last winter. They were hired by an anonymous citizens group to tail and record the inspectors. The city says QP is grieving the disciplinary action. Mayor Brian Bowman joins us live in studio at 7.45. What do you, what do you guys want to talk to him about? Well, that, one of our <laughs> listeners just asked, you know, what's happening with inspections now? If you fired uh -huh. these people, who's there doing the work? There's bigger questions about the systemic issues that were flagged by Councillor Klein in that package. And then, of course, Greg Greg always likes to ask some questions on transit, which I think is a good one. Because well, this we, was supposed we to be keep, the year of transit, right, Loren. sure hasn't been, I don't think. asked about what you did for the summer. We know you went away a little bit. How did you enjoy Iron Maiden? Did you make it or were you away? I did not make it. Oh, yeah. Brian I can Bowman. only go to so many concerts. I can't afford to go to all of them. <laughs> that would have so, been one I thought yeah. you would have had circled. You know what? Maybe uh, pick up a, a side gig to pay for. Yeah. Maybe deliver some, <laughs> skip the dishes for a couple days. Yeah, just to... I, the, the concert I went to this summer was Slash. And uh, my wife went to Backstreet Boys. I just, I, I couldn't. Okay. I couldn't go. She enjoyed it. Fight so. in the car of who to listen to then if you have such diversion. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of tension there with the music. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> both um, can get along. Trust me, they can both get along. Well, not really. No, uh, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I like them both. I like metal. Both. Yeah, I just, I can't do some of the, the real pop stuff. I just, I can't do in my car. It's, there's a kind of a, a rule when you're in, in my car. It's, it's mostly metal with the kids, but uh, I have a responsibility as a parent. I just, I got to expose them to, to good music. Eagles, Bruce Springsteen, you know, Neil Young, that sort of thing. Okay, I like it. Mayor yeah. Brian Bowman joining good us. Good morning. Nice to, nice to join it's you It's always good to see yeah. you. And uh, so hopefully we'll be able to do this uh, every month as we've been doing for a long time. Loren, I know you wanted to discuss uh, one thing with the mayor. I've got another agenda. So why don't we go with yours first? Mine's mine's a little bit easier going, we'll I just, think. We'll pick it up because it's still the top story on our website, yeah. globalnews.com. And that's, of course, the headline about more heads essentially rolling at City Hall as a result of the probe into the uh, property and planning department. Uh, the total is now eight people fired, seven suspended, and of course, all sorts of more questions, Mayor Brian Bowman, about what's next then, because this can't just be a problem within that department. There might be a more systemic issue at play. So how are we going to go through each department and make sure that the same kinds of things, the slacking, in quotes, on the job is not happening? Well, uh, the administrative report that was promised uh, to be publicly released by our interim CAO, uh, Mike Ruda, was made public yesterday, and uh, it sets out not just uh, the results of the investigation um, and the accountability measures that have been put into place. Uh, the terminations you referenced are, are being grieved by the respective bargaining units, and, and, and so obviously uh, the unions feel we've gone uh, too far in, in, uh, in the measures, and, and they'll follow the appropriate uh, process to, to grieve. But uh, what I would encourage uh, members of the media and the public that are interested in this matter to review is the the measures going forward. Because I think that's the most important thing for me is I want to make sure that we've, we're mitigating 
the uh, the actions that we see resulting from this uh, this investigation. We, we want to see them mitigated, not just in this department, but but citywide. And so. Uh, what the administrative report sets out is it sets out um, the fact that they will be working with external consultants, that they will be exploring the use of technology and the use of fleet vehicles rather than allowing uh, inspectors to use their private vehicles. Uh, those are the kinds of things, logs, um, you know, more more accountability measures. But I looked at that report. I just want to yeah. be clear. Is that going, are those recommendations going to be going into every department? Or are we sticking with property and planning at this point? The first item that was identified by our, uh, our interim CAO was uh, a review for the purposes of other departments as well. That, that was the top of the list. And uh, something that, that I really wanted to see is I wanted to make sure that we we take lessons learned in terms of uh, obviously, checks and balances that should have been in place to begin with that are going to be introduced uh, are implemented citywide so that we can make sure that we're getting the value for tax dollars uh, that that are being spent at City Hall. There's been some concern echoed and expressed that people at the top didn't seem to know what was going on within the department. Customers realized that things were awry because this is who funded the investigation originally. There had to be people within the department that were concerned. If you work in a city department, is there a process for you to, you know, I hate the term whistleblower, but if you have concerns about the productivity of your co-workers, uh, you don't want Stalinistic uh, sort of measures taken to be whispering and telling on people. But is there a process? If yeah. you have a concern yeah. about what's going on in your department, what do you do? Well, the first thing is uh, we do have whistleblower protection now, thanks to uh, the collaboration with the provincial government. And we also, of course, um, are introducing measures so that the checks and balances are a lot stronger than they are right now. But yeah, the short answer is yes, there's whistleblower protection. And that that's not just available to members of the public service, but th- there's also... Uh, available uh, lines that folks can call members of the public if they have concerns. And we would encourage people, uh, these are your tax dollars, these are your employees. Ultimately, the folks that are working for the city of Winnipeg are working for the citizens of the city of Winnipeg. And one of the challenges with this is, while I expressed early on, I wanted to see a report made public so that it could be you know scrutinized. Um, I also wanted to see uh, folks held accountable. Uh, if they're not playing by the rules, they need to be held accountable. And if the evidence supports termination, uh, we wanted to see those measures implemented in an appropriate way. And um, But that being said, we've got a lot of good people who do work for the city of Winnipeg who work very hard, and, and they're watching this right now, and they're listening to these interviews. And uh, and I want them to know we value their efforts as well because we've got a lot of people who put, put their, their heart and soul into serving the citizens of Winnipeg. And what's really unfortunate about this is not only uh, what it does to, to break trust with the public, um, but it also is demoralizing for those that are playing by the rules that work hard for the city of Winnipeg. How personally do you take this as being, you know, you're the face of, of the city, a lot of people questioning the culture overall within workplace no matter what department it is. Well, particularly seen, in government. Yeah, government. But I'm, I'm talking mm-hmm. about within the city of Winnipeg, you've lost a lot. There's been a lot of changes in terms of management and, and key decision makers over the time that you've been mayor. What does that say to your idea of culture and how that permeates throughout the entire civil service as it pertains to the city? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, first and foremost, I, I'm, I'm a homeowner and I'm a taxpayer. And so uh, my family, uh, we pay our taxes and I want to see that that the money is being spent um, in, in an appropriate way. And so, uh, you know, th- that's, that's top of my mind. Um, you know, we've also been criticized for the amount of turnover at City Hall over the last number of years. And um, you know, and I, I think uh, change is good as long as it's positive change and you're getting uh, some renewal. In, you feel in the it's been positive? Service. I think overall it has. I mean, uh, we've definitely, you know, you look at what we're debating now is we're, we're definitely debating more high level policy. I know we're going to talk about some other issues right now in, in terms of public policy, but we're debating the North End Treatment Plant. We're talking about rapid transit. We're talking about public safety and illicit drugs. Uh, it's not kind of that personal attacks that we we saw much more commonplace in in previous years um people want to debate and uh and argue about policy uh that that's what we we need as a city when you see what we need as a city transit i think it was about six months ago you joined us and talked about this being the year of transit and i'm not so i don't want to put words into greg's mouth but we talk a lot about where we're going and how long it's taking to develop transit we've yeah. had the issues with transit possibly striking and workers and employee issues and it does and every time we drive past that southwest corridor it feels like it's inching along right and so what, what how do we get to a point as a city where you act, 
actually make it the year of transit with the dollars and. Well, it- it is the year. I, I still I stand still by mean, absolutely. Still stand by that? Look, we've got uh, when, when I said the year of transit. I mean, I guess what I what I meant by that is that it is going to be a very busy year for um, positioning transit for the future. And so, uh, getting a collective agreement is a big part of that. And we still have yet to resolve that uh, that dialogue with uh, with ATU. Uh, we are in the middle of an operational review right now. We've made massive millions of dollars in investments in safety. We have, of course, uh, the rapid transit line that is, uh, you know, over $100 million under what was initially forecast for that project, and it's on schedule to open next spring. And so this is something that was talked about for decades, debated. It was going to be, you know, bus rapid transit and then no bus rapid. I mean, it went, it was like a ping pong, you know, going back and forth. We're actually building it, and it will be open next year. And so... Uh, the debate that you're going to see uh, this year is going to be alignment of the routes to position for uh, a high-frequency network for the rapid transit. And that's something that we need to do, and it's going to require leadership of council to make sure we're making tough decisions on underperforming routes to make sure we're positioning for a high-frequency network so we're getting the maximum benefit of the rapid transit line that opens next year. So there's a lot of heavy lifting with transit that still has to happen. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB. Do you have a, a song you would like to go out to? Maybe we can keep that in your back pocket for the next time you come in. Yeah, Just like interest. Paradise, David Lee Roth. Backstreet Boys. Like, oh, oh <laughs> Backstreet Boys. No, no. We'll, we'll send <laughs> them away feeling not, angry. You might not come back <laughs> if we play the Backstreet Boys. No, you know what? Anything anything Van Halen, anything, uh, you know, That Edom uh, and Smile uh, concert was actually pretty good with David Lee Roth. I did, did you I, see I that back no, in the 86? No, no. That was good, or 85? It was pretty good. David Lee Roth, though. It's not very good anymore. You know that, I, right, Brian? It's it's over. It's over for DLR. I'm not going to admit Sammy all the way. Sammy does rock. There we go. Absolutely. Yesterday, we shared with you the story of a kid who was being bullied in the States in Memphis because he always wore the same clothes to school. His family simply could not afford much more. Michael was getting made fun of for three straight weeks at his new school. I've been bullied my entire life. He would wear the same clothes every day, and students at MLK Prep would mock him for it. I don't really have clothes at home. My mom can't buy clothes for me because I'm growing too fast. When I saw people laugh at him and bully him, I feel like I needed to do something. So Christopher went through his closet and grabbed a bunch of clothes and texted his friend Antoine for help. I got some shoes, some brand new shoes I can give him, and I got a couple items I can give him too. They packed all that up and gave it to Michael. So that prompted many of you to share your own stories about bullying or perhaps growing up with less money than others, like this one. My parents had six kids and we didn't have a lot of money, so not a lot of clothes and all the good stuff most kids had. I remember when money went missing in the school and a girl in my class blamed me. When she was asked why she thought it was me, she said, I must have taken it because I was poor. I never stole a thing and I will never forget that. Now, we know those memories can sting and they can linger and they can also have devastating effects. Yeah, but in many of the stories you shared with us, and thank you so much for that yesterday, there was also hope, like the listener who wrote to say, after their family moved to Brandon, quote, I was targeted as an outsider, but I had moved around a lot as a, as a kid and had learned how to handle it. Walking home from school one day, I saw a guy being picked on by a group, and I decided to stand up to them on his behalf. I'm 62 now, and we stood up for one another in each other's weddings and are still best friends to this day. Wow, that is amazing. And then we got this email from Don to Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, Brett at CJOB.com. That reads as follows. When I started public school in the mid-1960s, If your birthday was in December, you would start kindergarten at age four. But if you were born in January, you'd start at five. So with a birthday in late December, I started school a year before a friend with a a birthday two weeks after mine. For the next nine years, I was a year behind everyone on age, and I had a bad case of ADHD, which in those days was called daydreaming. I can't remember how many times I got the yardstick or ruler across the knuckles. As for the bullying... Seeing as I was younger and much smaller than my fellow students, I wasn't even 100 pounds when I entered high school, all through public school, I was the target of name-calling, humiliation, he's got cooties, lights, etc., stay away from him, accused of homosexuality, was told I was probably adopted, etc. Every day while walking home from school, I'd get beaten up, 
pushed around, hit with school books, snowballs, had my school books taken away and thrown in dumpsters, over fences, into puddles, or just taken away, never to be seen again. Due to my being behind everyone by a year, my parents pleaded with a school board to hold me back a year, and they finally did in grade 8. I was totally crushed. I remained in public school while the few friends I managed to make were off to high school. When I made it to high school, the bullying got worse. It escalated to pretty humiliating physical abuse and downright violence. I was almost run over two or three times. I was gagged, bound, had my wrist and stuck uh, in, in the girls' washroom, tickled to the point of tears, lost control of my bladder, and was left there for two hours. When they searched the school, of course, no one thought of checking the girls' washroom. Another time I was bound and gagged and stuffed in a locker overnight and the physical abuse getting beat up continued in the locker room and gym class and back and forth walking to school daily. School books destroyed, rented band instruments stolen or damaged beyond repair. All this bullying started when I entered kindergarten in September of 1966 until I dropped out of school in 1979 in my third year of grade 10 when my younger sister caught up to me in school. In all that time, the thoughts of suicide never entered my mind. Trust me, it wasn't fun, and I would never wish that on my worst enemy. But by the same token, I had self-confidence and firmly believed the problem wasn't me, it's them. I was raised with a saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Fast forward many years, I never did finish my official education, but seeing the graduates, the school system turns out, I'm not too concerned. I have a wonderful family, a good-paying job, 80,000 plus. I speak five languages, English, French, Finnish, German, and Russian at varying levels. I play three musical instruments, and I wrote two commercial computer programs for the old Commodore 64. All self-taught. I think I turned out okay. Mm. Is it bizarre that I want to say he's lucky because if to have this to endure all that and and still know somewhere deep inside of him that it wasn't his fault is a remarkable human being. He's lucky that he had he had that self confidence in him because a quarter of that, a fraction of that, would derail a lot of kids. Oh, I just just reading like I I read this email yesterday and then reading it aloud, what he endured and what he was able to persevere through is extraordinary. So Don, thank you for sharing this with us. Uh, I'm sorry you had to go through it, but I'm glad that you came out the other side and you're doing great. Not just okay, Don's doing great. Yeah, just uh, intestinal fortitude and just the the wherewithal and the courage to continue. I, it's it's mind-boggling, overwhelming. That's, uh, that's a lot to endure. Uh, you wonder where the school system was in all that. Really bugs me to imagine that anybody should have to go through that without any sort of reprimand for anybody else. It, 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 it's so it seems based on the way Don conveyed that. It's it's kind of sickening, actually. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. How many rewards cards do you carry with you? We ask this question because... Loren McNabb, Greg Mackling, what did we learn yesterday about our friend here, Jeff Braun? I don't know how it started, but I walked into the newsroom at some point, and Jeff was... I was applying the sticker from my McDonald's coffee onto the card that comes on the cup there where you get seven stickers, you get a free cup of coffee. And how many stickers have you acquired? Uh, 20 cards worth. So that's like how... 20 <laughs> times seven, whatever that 140. is. 140. There you go. 140 coffees. Only math. Oh, no, no. 20 coffees. Oh, I thought you said 20 times 7. <laughs> no, no, it takes seven stickers to get one coffee. So he bought, a, yeah. he bought 140 coffees. Okay. Yeah. He but has 20 freebies and he's, in and his And he's desk. not redeeming them. Why? Because you only get a medium, and I like a large. <laughs> <laughs> Could you not oh just word. get two mediums? Could you not just... That seems like a waste of cups, doesn't it? Work a, <laughs> it seems like a waste of not, coffee. Could you not work a deal with I'm, them? Here, I'll I'm give you saving them for a rainy day, all right? <laughs> and I know we're going to get like 30 millimeters of rain tonight, but... <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes on the weekend I'll use one because I'll be bumping around on Saturday afternoons like, oh, I could go for a medium coffee right now. (laughs) (laughs) But usually if that's the case, they're in my work bag and I'm in my car and I don't have one with me anyway, so Uh I just have to buy one. So that had us all talking about the things we acquire in the sense of loyalty cards, rewards cards. Then, So that went from Jeff pulling out these 20 free coffees that he's not going to redeem to Greg pulled out his wallet. He's got... 
gift cards and loyalty cards and rewards programs up the yin yang, yeah. which I also don't think is getting you anywhere because you, you're not using them. No, uh, the gift cards are the ones that bug me the most because I love getting them as a gift and then you use them and then maybe there's a few bucks left over. You put them back in your wallet yeah. and then you forget about them. I think the retailers love it when you buy gift cards because I think it, it's close to 10% of gift cards never get redeemed. Like it's just free money to these retailers wow. I, and I'm contributing to the, uh, to the problem and I, and I hate the fact that I'm doing that. I actually have a huge stack of gift cards at home and I'm I don't, like, I don't know. I just feel like I should save them because they don't expire now. <laughs> they used to expire back in the day. Now they don't expire. So every now a, and then the, the store goes out of business before you use it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm afraid of, but I have a huge stack and I guess I'm saving them for like when you're, you're having those money troubles, then I, you know, I got no problems because I, I got a bunch of gift cards. Where are they for? Uh, there's some for like Safeway, Sobeys. Um, Sears, Eaton's. <laughs> no, not those. Subway. I got Subway. I just from everywhere. Okay. Well, okay. hey, that's kind of prudent. Oh, I have uh, Home Sense. They signed. I went there a couple of weeks ago to buy a duvet, and I they signed me up for their card. And they gave it to me, but I didn't do anything with it. And then when I went back to buy something else, they said, "Do you have a card with us?" And mm-hmm. I said. I do. It's sitting on my floor in the bedroom right now because mm-hmm. I did nothing with it. But, so, but those are those gift cards, and then there's those loyalty cards that you have right. in your thing that don't. Yeah. I don't know if they get you anywhere. Like you're you're loyal to McDonald's because you like their coffee, right? But they're not. They, and then you have the stack of free gift cards, but that's not keeping you going back to McDonald's. That seems to have nothing to do with it. No, it's so, just a weird side effect. So then what, what's the point of getting these things if you're not going to be loyal to the store? Well, you're going to get all sorts of emails, I'll tell you that. Yes. That's yeah. a, for sure. Say, yeah. <laughs> that might be the the most you get out of it, Kel. Yeah, that's why I, I try to stay away from it. But I've got a, a couple of credit cards where uh, you get certain rewards for it, and I try to keep it to that. Uh, there was a time, though, when I was traveling and, and doing hockey play-by-play where Lord, I don't know how many different hotels I had uh, rewards programs with and that sort of thing. And, and, it, and it was kind of fun because I remember one time I was able to send my wife and youngest daughter to New York uh, on a nice uh, mummy-daughter trip. And, and they were able to stay in hotels uh, for a relatively cheap price because of the total uh, points. So those kind of things paid off. But I haven't done that. Uh, well, I've been not out of play-by-play now for 13 years. Can you, you name, f- name the hotel, though, Kelly? Sorry, what, what was, was that? What was the hotel? I don't remember. Right. Like, you know, like, I mean, it was great to get that free thing, but if you can't remember the name of the business, then the loyalty. Like, I just don't, I don't get it. I once had this card in my wallet, and it wasn't the card didn't have the name of a business on it, but it was a card that other a bunch of different businesses could like right. join yeah. up with or whatever. And I'm staring at this thing, and I was like, I have no idea where I got this from. And it took a couple of months of me going into places and like. Maybe they'll ask for it, you know? And then, <laughs> and then finally I went to the barber. I went to get my hair cut. And they're like, do you have the whatever card? And I was like, I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I wonder where I got this from. <laughs> so excited. Like, I took oh. that card. Well, uh, you know, uh, they're starting to ask for your personal information again, right? Loren, no. didn't you refuse the other day to, to give some personal information based on what them giving you something for free? Well, well my or? thing about the loyalty, so you walk into a grocery store, if you have store, if you have their card, you get a certain number of dollars or yes. cents off, right? So that's fine, except for that uh, you can get the card for free. So you get this card for free. There's no extra payment to get the points back. Or, so right. I, I don't get what the point is. Just give me the lower price is my thing. But sure enough, I go into the grocery store. I see that I could save $8 if I have this card. So I go to the customer service. Eight bucks is eight bucks. I'm like, oh, can I sign up for your card? And so I fill out the form with everything except for my birthday because I was like, what the heck does that have to do with it? And they always talk about now not giving yeah. out your birthday because you're one thing away from uh, someone taking your information. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not giving you my birthday. He's like, well, you can't get the card. I was like, I don't have to tell you. Give me the card. And and he's like, and he's like, I don't have to tell you. You have to get your birthday. And I was like, why do I need to tell you my birthday? And he's like, well, what if you lose your card? I was like, well, I'll walk in, show you my ID, to which will match my face, and you'll say, here's your card. <laughs> and then we just stared at each other because I. Then I get to the point where I'm like, well, no, I'm not giving you anything now. Like I'm done. Meanwhile, there's a lineup of twenty people trying to get a refund. <laughs> so. 
Did you give in? Did they give yeah, in? Yeah, I, g- I gave in. <laughs> you did? <laughs> $8, man. Did you give them your correct birthday? So that's no, the I didn't, I didn't uh, give them my correct birthday. Like, okay. what difference does you it make then? You gave him a birthday. A birthday. So a I just, birthday. I don't get the, it's, if it's not bringing you back, <laughs> if they can't just give you the lower price to begin with, if it's costing you more, and if they're taking all your information, I really do wonder what we're doing with all these things, especially what Jeff is going to do with those <laughs> cards. We're all getting them for Christmas, Brett. Loren McNabb, we start this hour with distortion. Yeah, and I think when you're talking about distortion campaigns, you have to look at political campaigns and and how we can cut through the rhetoric and find the truth. We just finished a provincial campaign, of course, uh, on Tuesday, and then we have one that just kicked off across Canada yesterday. And we're trying to take a look at how do we discern fact from fiction. Global National's Jeff Semple is going to be looking at distortion campaigns throughout this federal election and also try to figure out where the truth lies and tracing those distortion campaigns back to their source. He joins us now to explain how this is going to work. But first, Jeff, let's talk about what we're seeing with distortion campaigns and and how they've escalated. Well, I think these things, of course, unless you've been living under a rock for a while, Loren, you probably have heard of the meddling campaign, the disinformation campaign that happened back in 2016 during the U.S. presidential campaign that really unearthed uh, how all of this sort of thing works. And I think, you know, but already long gone are the days of good old-fashioned Russian Twitter trolls uh, who were posting fake news and buying Facebook ads and even managed to organize political rallies during the U.S. presidential campaign. These days when we talk about disinformation campaigns, particularly during an election, we're talking about everything from fake news uh, posted online to fake photos, deep fake videos, which are getting eerily more realistic, it seems, almost every month. Uh, and a lot of these, this fake content uh, is, is then shared online um, using fake accounts, even automated Twitter bots to try and get things trending. So it's a term that covers quite a range of, of frightening terms. And I think that, that it is that range and the versatility of this threat that has people so concerned heading into our election campaign. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you've seen the documentary on Netflix, I Am Roger Stone. He talks about the disinformation campaign and how early in his life he realized it was effective. He was running for president uh, at his school and uh, and subsequently was uh, trying to get uh, President Nixon elected and trying to, to garner support for President Nixon within his high school. And he started a rumor that President Kennedy if elected, was going to implement school on Saturdays. And so he realized and, and admits in that in that documentary that he realized very early that disinformation can be incredibly effective. Yeah, I mean, that old saying, you know, that it doesn't matter if it's true as long as it's believed, right? And I think, you know, that's, that is the concern. And, of course, you know, in this case, there's a lot more at stake than school politics uh, when we talk about the potential for these campaigns to sway elections. Um, you know what I mean? It's uh, there are. Uh, it should be stressed that Canada, according to people who monitor these campaigns all over the world and look for disinformation in elections all over the world, and, and there have been a lot of these cases since the U.S. presidential campaign in 2016. We've got documented cases of more than 30 different countries over the past few years that have been targeted by disinformation campaigns during their elections. So it seems almost inevitable that Canada should expect to see something similar. Uh, having said that, though, these experts who monitor of this stuff internationally say that Canada is one of the best prepared countries in the world. Uh, the government has passed, you know, spent tens of millions of dollars on its security establishment, uh, hiring academics to do some active online monitoring. Um, you know, there's an, uh, there's an online registry for political ads. So, you know, it's, we saw those Russian trolls back in 2016 buying Facebook ads. Now, anyone who buys Facebook ads, there will be a registry that you can search. There are ways to make sure that that person is who is purchasing the ad is is in Canada. So the government is taking quite a lot of steps here. Uh, Canada is about as prepared as any country has been for this sort of thing. But, you know, again, when you it still raises what is an open question about whether even this infrastructure and all of these pieces that are in place, whether they can respond to this type of threat and potentially very quickly, because we've seen some of the strongest misinformation campaigns in Brazil, for example, where a fake audio recording was leaked 48 hours before the election. So that's not a lot of time to find out whether something is true or false. Do you think the average Canadian is paying attention to what they're reading? 
Well, according to national surveys that have been conducted by this organization called the Digital Democracy Project uh, on this very issue, they say that actually they've been pleasantly surprised even that Canadians are pretty engaged and aware about the threat of disinformation, uh, certainly compared to our friends in the South and the United States, that Canadians uh, have a high level, level of distrust of, of what they read on social media. Um, there are, you know, we already have surveys that show that people who rely on social media to get their political news and information tend to be more misinformed than those who rely on the traditional press. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it is, it is I, I suppose, a little bit of a consolation to, to read these, these national surveys surveys and see that Canadians are aware that, you know, what they read online, you know, should always be taken with a grain of salt. Even with that, uh, as we speak, you're looking into the fact that there's a group of researchers doing their own campaign, trying to counter what might go out there. Tell us a bit about that and how it's going to work. Yeah, this is a multi-million dollar project that involves uh, mostly academics uh, from universities in Ontario and Quebec. It is the first of its kind, uh, we think, anywhere in the world where these academics will be, on one hand, conducting national surveys uh, throughout the course of the election campaign. Uh, They've also got this sort of massive data forensics team that will be monitoring social media traffic and online uh, news traffic throughout the campaign. And basically what what they will be tracking in real time is what Canadians are reading, the types of information they're consuming on these particular issues, and then they will work to sort of trace back those trace back that information to its source, if you like. So if there's a hashtag that's trending, where did it start? If there's a story that suddenly surfaced, what was its origin? So we've got sort of active real-time tracking by these academics who will be really for the first time anywhere, tracking in real time what Canadians are reading, digesting, consuming when it comes to political news during the election campaign, and keeping an active eye on and trying to determine whether that information is real or fake. Jeff Semple, thank you very much, sir. Great to be with you guys. Thanks. So as part of Jeff's work for uh, Chorus and CJOB and Global throughout this election campaign, he's also got a bunch of new online tools that he'll be using with our online team to try to track the promises and keep us informed and, and try to figure out how to even cut through the truth of what the politicians are saying, let alone all the Twitter bots and the Russians or whatever yeah. country comes in next. <laughs> it's sort of a mess, isn't it? Yeah. This whole idea that uh, democracy and free speech and, and free thought is being attacked. It's uh, the very core of who we are and uh, we're doing it to ourselves to a great extent right and the lesson would be like there's we're going to do our best to help listeners but let's also help each other if you see somebody out there sharing something that you know isn't true or has come from an unnecessary source we have to say it too but it all starts with our politicians being truthful and forthright when they're making their promises their declarations and uh, statements about other candidates don't lie Mm -hmm. keep it real keep it truthful We started a conversation this morning in having coffee talking segment at 645 about loyalty programs. And it stemmed from the fact that Jeff Braun has, what was it, 20, 20 yeah. coffee cards from McDonald's in his drawer that he hasn't redeemed yet. And all the programs we signed up for in hopes of getting you know a discount or something free because something good is supposed to come up out of it. So rewards programs are popular with businesses. They're popular with consumers. But there's one conversation that we perhaps haven't had yet, and that's about how these cards can be a place for criminals to access because it has all your information. They can either be accessing the cards to use your points, because in some cases it's like cash, or they can be accessing it for data that can be exploited. In the United States recently, the total value of rewards accounts is $60 billion. Uh, according to the Loyalty Fraud Prevention Association, the global value of these counts is $250 billion. So there's a ton of cash in all these cards we have in our pocket. And so to tell us how we need to pay a bit more attention to that, we're joined now by the Loyalty Fraud Prevention Association and Peter Mater, one of its co-founders. Good morning, Peter. Good morning to you. I know it's good afternoon here because I'm in Switzerland. He's in Switzerland walking in the woods. So in case the uh, call goes out, I just want to say that for our listeners. But let's just start at the beginning. You know, we look at these as programs and cards that can help us. But when we hand over our information, what do we need to be thinking about, Peter? Well, what you have to think about is uh, that these cards that you just mentioned, you know, for the coffee or these uh, freaking fire programs, uh, these are points or miles, but they're worth a hell of a lot of money. 
And unfortunately, a lot of these accounts, they're not properly protected. You know, for example, I have several uh, tens of thousands of miles with a uh, large uh, carrier here in Europe. And in order to access my account, I have to give in a four-digit PIN. Now, uh, you know, every crook knows how to crack this PIN within seconds. So as a consumer, if you are a member of these uh, loyalty programs, uh, I can only suggest that, uh, first of all, you dial into your accounts on a regular basis. Make sure that uh, the information there is, is accurate. And then obviously the, the companies running these programs, uh, you know, they should be encouraged to protect uh, much better the, uh, the customer data. Because as you have already indicated, there's a, the amount of money involved, uh, the liability that these companies carry in their books until these points miles are redeemed is huge. You mentioned $250 billion, but, uh, you know, uh, the latest estimate, they are, they are significantly higher. And the crops, obviously, they have discovered that there are rich pickings uh, in, in this particular area because not only can they steal the accounts and then use the miles and points uh, for their own purposes, they love to travel, but also, uh, you know, the, uh, the criminals that are involved uh, in uh, much more serious crimes such as smuggling, human being trafficking, uh, money laundering, etc., etc., so, you know, fortunately, the, the police forces here in Europe, and I'm thinking in particular of uh, Europol, which is the uh, combined uh, police force in Europe, they have now woken up to the fact that uh, criminals that uh, are directing their activities away from credit card fraud to low fraud because it's much easier. And there are so many different uh, types of fraud that they can uh, can use. Now, Peter, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, these loyalty programs, uh, when they started uh, 20 or more years ago, they, they were, as much as anything, a data mining project and an ability for uh, retailers to, to get to you in different fashion, to get all your personal information. And, and that was well before we had email and cell phones that were so uh, easily uh, usable. Tell us about the origins, uh, confirm or deny uh, what I just said, and, and that information that they store has to be equally as valuable as the dollar amounts of rewards that that are sitting there either unused or are just uh, are just salivating uh, sitting there waiting as uh, as criminals try to tap into them you're absolutely correct now obviously originally these reward programs they were really set up to reward a repeat customer you know to encourage the customer to come back to a store xyz uh, and but then uh, the, the these programs they discovered that uh, as you indicated that by uh, using the data that the customer is providing his his address and his uh, uh, purchasing habits etc is is a gold mine for their marketing efforts and you're absolutely correct again that uh, you know besides the the monetary value of these points and miles the data that uh, are that is available in these programs is huge. And the criminals, you know, they, for example, they love what we call account takeover. That means they break into uh, British Airways uh, service, as it happened uh, a few months ago, and they steal 500,000 uh, customer data. Now, uh, you know, they, they, can, uh, they can sell this, uh, this data as a commodity on the Internet or rather on the dark web. Because uh, other criminals, they, they want the, the BA data because, uh, uh, again, the customer is lazy. And uh, I will challenge uh, you and, uh, and your, uh, your, uh, uh, your people on the radio, uh, how many times do you change your password? Uh, and how complicated is the password? So if they have, for example, my credentials for BA, they know that uh, there's a good chance that I will use the same password for, uh, for another account. So they just uh, Google where uh, I have an account and I try it and they're in. So, you know, the, the criminals, by attacking loyalty, uh, they have two benefits. First of all, the points and miles. And second, the, uh, the data. So what do I do, if, Peter? Uh, if I'm, if I, do I not get these cards if I'm worried about this? Or is there some simple steps I can take as someone who likes the points and likes to go into you know, the drug mart and get uh, the free lipstick or whatever comes with the points? What, what do I do? What you do is, well, first of all, as I said, you have to check into your account on a regular basis. 
make sure that the data that is in there is correct. And then obviously we have to get the, the programs uh, to, uh, to make these, uh, these accounts more secure. You know, you're talking of uh, a multi-factor authentication that means not only a PIN, but maybe an SMS code that is being sent to you or, uh, you know, more uh, digital verification that, uh, that you have the right user on it. I mean, today modern, there's modern technology that allows uh, checking that uh, the, uh, the, the proper account, hold, account holder is, uh, is trying to access his account. So, but, you know, it, the, the approach is twofold. First of all, the customer has to become aware, has to realize that these are points and miles. However, they're worth a hell of a lot of money. Second, it's the programs who have to uh, amend uh, their systems to make the, uh, uh, their, their, their systems, their uh, accounts more secure. So these are the two steps that they have to do. Peter Mater, Loyalty Fraud Prevention Association, joining us live from Switzerland. Peter, thank you so much for your insight into this. Just fascinating stuff. You're quite welcome. Anytime. Switzerland. Switzerland. Well, beautiful part of the country, but oh my gosh, like all the things I didn't think, I'm already worried about, like I check my credit card statement regularly, yep. partly because when the bill comes in, I'm like, who spent all that money? <laughs> and then I'm, I'm convinced that I've been defrauded. And then I go in and realize, no, it's just me. <laughs> There's that, right? Like, there's just your actual money. But I never thought about somebody going into one of my cards that's in my wallet, like a, you know, an Indigo or HomeSense or whatever, and trying to get my information from it. Like, I've never paused to think about that other than I, sorry, I do pause to think about them taking my information. I never pause if someone's stealing my points. Yeah, I don't collect a ton of points. I mean, I have air miles, I guess, but I think I have enough. I've been collecting air miles for like 20 years, and I think I have enough to get me uh, from, say, Transcona to Charleswood. It's not a ton of air miles, but I didn't. I never would have thought of the idea of people stealing points. And also the notion of the passwords, the likelihood that if they get your password from one account, they'll likely be able to breach another account because... You we know that's true. I, every time I can't I, remember 50 passwords. No, and so every time I log into whatever, we have a growing number of apps or a growing number of programs or, you know, you might have the 7-Eleven app on your phone for the rewards or Jeff has McDonald's, Jeff Braun. Then you have the same password for all of those. I do because I, don't, I can't remember. My iPhone will automatically generate passwords and then it depends on which website it is, but I can choose to use that auto automated or automatically generated password and then it'll save in my phone and so then that's the only place really that I can sign into that account is on my phone so I like that but you know these criminals it's like a cryptocurrency for them right they can they can use your miles they don't have to handle cash they don't have to steal your credit card number it's uh it's something I hadn't thought of either, Lorraine. That was kind of eye-opening so for we'll, Peter on that front. Throughout the day on CGOB, we're going to not just talk about the bad of the rewards, Kahari, but where are the goods? Uh, I know uh, Jeff Courier and Hal Anderson are looking for voices and, and talk about what's your favorite program and do you actually get anything back? You know, you might go there because you like the rewards, but are you spending way more money at that store just to get that free bag than you would if you just went somewhere that it was cheaper? That's a good point, yeah. You, oh, I got to go see five more movies and then I get one free. Right. Well, you just went to five movies. Yeah. Or Shoppers Drug Mart. It's like, I like their Optimum card. I do. But you spend money there to get stuff back. Would it be, is that stuff, are the items you're buying cheaper somewhere else? Like overall, have you ever done the math? Well, it's like the Three's Company episode when Chrissy comes home with the free bird seed and Jack and Janet say, but we don't have a bird. I bought a bird. <laughs> <laughs> So, Loren, uh, before you board a plane, are you going to check to see what type of aircraft you're on? Well, I've just finished checking my airplane points. Okay. Now, now, yeah. Anything concerning there? No, I looked. Okay, good. I, well, it's concerning that I hardly have any, but they haven't been used. Spend more money. But they Spend haven't been more used. Money. So, first, you, now I, the lesson learned this morning is to check my points. And now the question we have for you folks listening is, since the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft was grounded by Transport Canada six months ago, that, of course, following two deadly crashes that it was involved in, have you been looking to see what type of plane you're flying on? Regulators have said that the 737 MAX aircraft won't be allowed to take off again until software enhancements and more 
crew training are done. Because of that, WestJet just announced this week it's going to have to cut some of its direct flights from Winnipeg to vacation hotspots because it doesn't have access to those planes, which means the escape so many Manitobans plan in the harshest of months could prove to be challenging. Mary Jane Hebert is with Canada One Travel in Steinbach and joins us now to give us some recommendations. Good morning, Mary Jane. Good morning. First, we know back in March uh, you were getting a lot of phone calls about this plane. Has that subsided or do you still have people who, when they book travel, are saying, can you just tell me what kind of plane I'm on first? Well, it subsided briefly because the direct charter and the the south destination sort of ceased through the summer months. But um, we've already had some inquiries uh, for this fall and winter. So, you know, a big part of getting away, if you only have a week, is getting there as quickly as you can, which means direct flights are very popular. What will the cancellation of these direct flights mean and what destinations are affected? Uh, so I'm, we're not exactly sure to what extent WestJet's going to cancel, but we did have someone come in uh, a few days ago who booked on to Puerto Vallarta, has already been alerted that his flights will not be direct. Uh, so that could, have, that could be a big, big impact. Uh, but there are other carriers who are still continuing to have direct flights. So what we'll do, it will move traffic from WestJet to other carriers. Is that something that we need to be looking for ahead of time, like in the consideration of, as Greg mentioned, if you now are moving to a, if you're now sticking with WestJet and they don't provide that direct flight, are there cases where, say, I'm traveling to Mexico or Cuba or other that I now have to overnight somewhere, like making my vacation longer, but not in a good way? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge consideration. I mean, in this situation, this gentleman was not offered a refund. Uh, WestJet was not claiming responsibility because someone else has banned the the, uh, the aircraft. Uh, so he was offered to go via Toronto, or if he didn't want to go, they would put his money into a travel bank for future travel. The, you know, that that is not a great alternative for a lot of people. They spend lots of money on these flights, and for them then to just simply have to find resources to, to purchase another flight uh, is not necessarily possible for everyone. How much havoc has the grounding of this flight caused in the airline industry in terms of having to shuffle the deck for the scheduling? It's a real big problem. I mean, we saw it initially. Um, I mean, it has far-reaching uh, impact because we just consider, you know, Winnipeg, Toronto, maybe Toronto, New York. But, you know, there's lots of uh, schedules that are impacted. Not every air, um, not every pilot is trained for every single aircraft. So it's not just the planes and the schedules. It's also the, the staff that they put on those planes. So, um, you know, the attendants and the, and the pilots, they're not necessarily trained for every route or every aircraft. This conversation was prompted by WestJet's announcement that it might not have direct flights from Winnipeg to several vacation hotspots or it's going to cut some of those flights. Is the expectation that other airlines might follow suit with if they have concerns with their own planes that have been grounded as well, Mary Jane? Uh, it, it may, but I think that the problem for WestJet is that they relied heavily on this new aircraft and they gave up leases on their old aircrafts. Uh, so to now negotiate new leases uh, is becoming more difficult because those planes maybe went somewhere else. So there's less probably available to WestJet. Uh, another consideration is that they also uh, they own Swoop, uh, you know, who is a direct-to-consumer uh, uh, airline. Uh, so they probably have resources uh, that they need to provide to Swoop as well. So it's not just the WestJet uh, problem. So what about some of the uh, other operators, uh, Sunwing in particular? I, I did some homework on them. They own a bunch of their own aircraft. They don't seem to own these 737. Well, I think they, they own four of these 737 Maxes, pardon me. Yeah, that's right. So they don't rely on the 737 MAX. Uh, the other thing I think is that maybe they've planned further in advance than WestJet did. Uh, I mean, we know this, this plane's not going to fly for a while. And even when it does, there's going to be a lot of people who are very concerned they're not going to want to get on that plane. So I would think that it would be better f- for the airlines to plan longer, uh, you know, to not operate those aircraft. That will, uh, you know, be better for their schedules and uh, certainly for the 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 customer uh, who wants, you know, wants to make sure that they're on a safe plane. If I'm booking a trip then, say, in the next few months, what are the couple questions I need to ask for then to make sure I'm doing this right? You, you mentioned the idea that you might want to go to another carrier or the very least ask WestJet, is this going to be a direct or indirect flight? But that could change halfway through. So is there a checklist I should give myself going forward? 
so I guess people will want to know what kind of aircraft they're traveling on. Uh, if the flight is direct, um, I would I would recommend that people book sooner than later because now with WestJet taking their direct service out of the out of the question, that's going to put limited resources on the number of seats that are available going direct with the other carriers. So booking sooner than later is a recommendation. And I would also highly recommend that you book with a travel agent. Um, you know, this one gentleman that walked into our office sadly booked on his own. So there's really very, very uh, little that we could do to help him. And he felt very frustrated being on his own. So that would be my recommendation. Book early, uh, book with a travel agent, uh, make sure that you know what kind of aircraft you're traveling on. What can a travel agency do to help a customer who's been hung out to dry? Well, you know, we have direct access to sales reps, um, perhaps vice presidents, things like that, that, you know, we can in, make influence uh, in a certain way. Uh, in this case, you know, I think it's unreasonable that WestJet didn't refund this passenger the money that he paid for the direct flights. Uh, that's something I would have advoca- advocated for uh, so that he could then, you know, use that money towards a direct flight with another carrier. Yeah, I, I think there is that that power as well of the knowledge that you have. This might be the only time in your lifetime you have to deal with a, an airline on something like this. You do it every single day. Right, exactly. I mean, we, I've done this now for about 25 years, and I can't tell you how many um, bankruptcies I've gone through or strikes or whatever. And I know that I've spent many a night up uh, all night long trying to reprotect my passengers. And I think that if I was a consumer having to do that, I'd be very, very, very frustrated. Mary Jane Hebert with Canada One Travel and Steinbach joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.